Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. We find ourselves now in the Ides of October, as well as the Ides of our Nut Tree miniseries number two. Last episode, we kicked this journey off with the trees that give us delicious, wonderful, and controversial cashews. Today, we are staying in that cashew plant family to talk about the trees that give us pistachios. I referred to cashews as controversial because of labor ethics and human rights stuff, but I feel like public perception on pistachios is mixed in its own way based on flavor alone. I know it took me a while to get on the pistachio train, and I'm sure many others fail to recognize what it is that makes these nuts so popular. And yet, pistachios clearly reign supreme for so many. How else could they be considered the most productive and economically important species of edible nut? The single most successful plant introduction to the United States in the 20th century. My dear listener, I beseech you to find someone who looks at you the same way nut scientists and nut economists look at the pistachio. Most of us, at least in America, have likely seen the numerous pistachio ads playing before videos or sprinkled in our TV commercial breaks. They're weird, but they work. Marketing can't be the only reason this nut is so popular, can it? It isn't, but to fully understand what happened, we must look at where the pistachio tree comes from and how political turmoil in the pistachio homeland forever changed the snacking habits of the Western world. As I mentioned, the pistachio tree is related to the cashew tree, but if you think this biology overview is just going to be a review, you're dead wrong. I'm being a little over the top, we do need to start with a brief review. The cashew family is known scientifically as Anacardiaceae, and is home to 83 groups of plants that make up around 860 plant species in total. Because of the inherent diversity found between 800 plants, the family is split into five subfamilies. Our pistachio can be found in the same subfamily as cashews, mangoes, the Peruvian pepper tree, and poison ivy. You may think that one of these is not like the other, but the infamous toxicity of poison ivy is actually a consistent theme across these different groups, and I'll get into its manifestation in the pistachio a little later. Pistachio trees belong to their own group, which contains between 10 and 20 species, depending on which botanist you talk to. The pistachio genus is known scientifically as pistachia, a name that comes from the Middle Persian term pistak, or some close variation thereof. The dozen or so pistachio species can be found growing across a number of arid and semi-arid parts of the world, but as the name derivation suggests, our domesticated nut comes from Central Asia. This species is known scientifically as Pistachia vera. The other wild species do bear similar nuts, but they didn't see thousands of years of selective cultivation and are thus not worth harvesting today. These other trees do still see importance in human history, though, thanks to their production of turpentine and mastic. These oils and resins make products that work as good solvents and protective varnishes. 
There's also a species called the Chinese pistache, which is commonly used as an ornamental street tree. We had a bunch planted around my college campus. Their leaves smell like sugar snap peas when crushed, a unique identifiable feature. Back to our domesticated pistachio, this is a desert tree, so we can't exactly expect it to get very big considering the limited available resources. These trees ultimately reach heights around 20 to 30 feet, or 6 to 9 meters. But in agricultural settings where the nuts are harvested, they are pruned to be even shorter. If less energy is put into growing, then more can go into seed production, and those seeds are easier to reach. The leaves are deciduous and pinnately compound, meaning that the leaf stalk produces a number of smaller leaflets opposite each other in a row, rather than just having a single leaf blade. The flowers are dioecious, meaning there are separate trees for pollen production and fertilization. These flowers do not have petals and do not produce nectar. There's just no biological adaptation for attracting pollinators here. Instead, pistachios rely entirely on the wind to spread their pollen from male individuals to female individuals. Farmers have long figured out that their orchards need to include at least one male tree for every 30 female trees in order for proper pollination to occur. Pollination results in fruit production, but the pistachio fruits are not botanically nuts. They are a structure known as a droop. This does not mean you need to start calling pistachios by a different name or write any letters to the FDA. I always insist that these same words can apply to different things in different contexts. For the sake of food, pistachios are nuts. But in the world of plants, they come from the same fruit type as cherries, plums, peaches, and almonds. What we call a pistachio nut is actually the seed of this fruit, which is surrounded by three layers the endocarp, the mesocarp, and the exocarp, from inside to out. In stone fruits like peaches, these layers manifest as the pit, the edible flesh, and the skin. Part of me was somewhat regretful that I chose to do a nut tree miniseries during October instead of something spooky, especially since my next episode will come out on Halloween itself. But honestly, talking about peach terminology is frightening enough. First, we boil it and remove its skin. Then the flesh is laid bare for us to sink our teeth into. And once it is all consumed, all that remains is the pit. Have fun eating peaches ever again. So we have those three layers with the pistachio as well. Surrounding the seed is an inner shell, which itself is surrounded by a thick outer shell, all of which is covered in a thinner skin layer. Both the pistachio and the peach are droops with the same technical names for the layers, but in different species, you actually eat different layers. For peaches, you eat the mesocarp. And for pistachios, you eat the seed that the fruit encases. When you see pistachios in the shells in store, you are looking at the seed still in the inner shell, just that first layer. The thick outer shell, that middle layer, is the toxic part of the plant. 
It contains urichiol, which is the same chemical compound that causes poison ivy and poison oak to give you a rash. For obvious reasons, that layer is removed long before it reaches store shelves. Pistachios are known to run into some issues when it comes to seed production, though. Sometimes the embryonic material doesn't properly form, meaning the fruit will grow without an actual seed inside. Scientists call this a blank nut, and it's as disappointing as it sounds. Blank nuts are hard to anticipate because you can't actually get a look inside the shell before it's too late. But there's another phenomenon that occurs that helps avoid all of this, and that's when a pistachio produces what is called a split nut. A split nut is when the inner shell splits open on its own and you can see the seed inside. Think of that image of the pistachio shell slightly open and the green seed peeking out a little bit. This is a trait that humans have selectively bred for as a means of monitoring the success of their harvest and of consumers knowing what they're actually buying. And a split nut is said to be good luck for romance. It is a historic cultural practice for couples to stand together and wait to hear the sound of a shell splitting above them. But if they don't hear that split, yikes. The slightly curved shape of the shell, when split, has also inspired some similar international nicknames based on the idea that it looks like a smiling mouth. Thus, the Persians nicknamed pistachios the smiling nut, while the Chinese call it the happy fruit. Take that, goldfish. This was the original snack that smiles back. Then, as now, we see the pistachio holding global appeal. But while other crops traveled long roads hundreds of years ago, the pistachio's journey to its current fame occurred surprisingly recently. evidence of people eating pistachios dates back to Neanderthals 300,000 years ago. These seeds belonged to a species of pistachio, but not what we have today. Further evidence suggests that more modern pistachios were eaten around 10,000 years ago, which is around the time that humans began practicing agriculture in general. But the limited extent of the evidence, as well as the smaller size of the seeds, doesn't quite suggest that cultivation and selective breeding of these trees had yet occurred. The strongest evidence for pistachio cultivation points to around three to 4,000 years ago, somewhere on the eastern side of the Caspian Sea. I've seen some sources say Iran, and some say Uzbekistan. Those two countries are split by Turkmenistan, so I'm just going to split the difference and say there. Over the following millennia, the pistachio spread throughout the Middle East, its production expanding alongside Arab culture. It's mentioned in the book of Genesis, with one translation referring to it as a choice fruit, which leads me to believe that this translation was done in the 80s. The Levant region, where Israel, Palestine, and Lebanon exist today, could have gotten the pistachio from a couple different places. The tree traveled west from Persia and orchards were set up in modern-day Syria, but they also went along Arab trading routes into Africa. 
it is said that Sheba, queen of Egypt and Ethiopia, favored the pistachio greatly. And while it could be that she aided in the nut's influence spreading far and wide, some accounts suggest that she, like a squirrel, decided to hoard her nuts and keep all her land's production to herself. It's difficult to say what actually happened, though, as some historians dispute her existence entirely, and those that do explore the possibility of her existence find many of her real attributes to be shrouded in legend and exaggeration. Another exaggerated figure who may have helped the pistachio's influence spread is Alexander the Great. There are numerous crops and other products that are said to have first entered Mediterranean trade because of this man's eastern conquests and journeys. Almost every tree-based product I have researched that originated in Western or Central Asia possibly came to Europe through his hands. And maybe they all did, but considering the presence of established trade routes through groups like Arabs and Phoenicians, I remain skeptical. Either way, the pistachio started to spread across the Mediterranean region through the centuries on either side of the turn of the Common Era. But it would be a while before they spread any further than that. For over a thousand years after their introduction to southern Europe, pistachios were not very well known anywhere north of the Alps. And if they were, they were incredibly expensive. Cultivation simply could not spread out of arid regions because of what these trees could tolerate. And because of this, the pistachio largely remained an Arab product. Though pistachios had become common in places like Greece and Italy, production was limited in those countries until Arabs conquered Sicily in the 9th and 10th centuries and began growing the trees there themselves. So when Europeans later colonized the New World, this was one of the crops that they did not introduce. The United States by and large did not include the pistachio in their economy until Middle Eastern immigrants came over in the 1800s. Even then, the nuts largely stayed within these immigrant communities, mostly being found in vending machines at bus stops. You'd pay a nickel for a dozen, which is where that saying comes from. A saying that I was completely unfamiliar with until I read about it, but I ran this bit of history by one of my older co-workers and he confirmed that it is indeed a thing. Apologies if you are of a certain age and also recognize this saying, because I probably just made you feel very old. Pistachios as a tree crop eventually made their way to the United States in the first decades of the 1900s, thanks to the help of the USDA plant explorers. I mentioned these adventurers back in my episode on the date palm, but essentially there were these two dudes, David Fairchild and Palamon Howard Dorset, among others, who were like real-life Indiana Jones, except instead of traveling around exotic foreign lands and stealing cultural artifacts, they collected plant samples to bring home in hopes of bolstering our own diverse crop production without relying on importing those goods. Around 200,000 exotic plant varieties were introduced this way, including avocados, hops, horseradish, kale, and pistachios. And so it was that in 1929, one of these plant explorers by the name of William E. Whitehouse traveled around Iran and Turkmenistan and collected 20 pounds of specifically chosen pistachio seeds and brought them back to the U.S., planting around 3,000 trees in Chico, California. Of these 3,000 trees, only one ended up having all the right characteristics between tree and nut to be considered viable for commercial production. 
The seed that grew this tree came from the Kerman province in Iran, a region that was already known for pistachio production on an immense scale for the time. This single Kerman pistachio tree has since become the sole source of all commercial pistachio trees grown in California. Reproduction by cutting and clonal growth early on ensured that those ideal characteristics would be perfectly replicated. There is some variety in the crop today, but the vast majority of pistachio trees in this country can trace their lineage to that single Kerman tree almost a hundred years ago. The industry slowly grew throughout the mid-1900s, but didn't take off commercially for U.S. consumption until the 1970s. Up until that point, pistachios had been imported from Iran, and the nuts still weren't widely enjoyed outside the Middle Eastern and Arabic communities. Those of you who are old enough to remember the nickel for a dozen saying can likely expect exactly what happened in the 1970s that would cause the U.S. to stop importing anything from Iran, but there were actually a series of events that led to California's crop boom. In 1971, California realized that the insane amount of crops they were growing in the Central Valley used a ton of water that was in increasingly short supply. In order to encourage water conservation, the state implemented a tax on all citrus and almond groves, but not pistachios. This crop still had yet to be grown on a commercial scale, but now many farmers were switching to this tree to avoid paying the taxes placed on other tree crops. This drive was most notably led by Stuart and Linda Resnick, who started The Wonderful Company. All those weird and funny ads that ultimately end up with a pistachio shell opening up to reveal a black bag with pistachios in green letters come from The Wonderful Company. This was where they got that start just 50 years ago. Then, in 1972, Iran implemented a free breakfast program in its schools, with a mandate including certain quantities of pistachios for all their health benefits. In order to accomplish this, the country needed to divert an amount of their production to their schools, meaning that less went into the global market. This decrease in export share further incentivized California growers to take up the pistachio crop. By 1976, the first pistachio crop was ready for commercial production, and the competition between California and Iran over who could claim the market was on. This competition lasted all of three years, because in 1979, an Iranian militant group invaded the U.S. Embassy in their country and took over 50 Americans hostage, kickstarting massive tensions between the two countries known as the Iran Hostage Crisis. People all over the United States feared for the safety of their fellow Americans and raged against this act against them. Meanwhile, pistachio growers in California said, Oh my god, this is so good for us. Resulting sanctions against Iran cut off imports entirely, including pistachios. America had gradually been coming around to the pistachio since the end of World War II, and now that they couldn't get their nuts from overseas, they turned to the newly commercial growing practices on the West Coast. From there, the domestic market exploded and never looked back. In fact, the Resnicks who pioneered commercial production of pistachios in California made sure that the country would never go anywhere else for their nut. 
In the 1980s, when tensions finally eased somewhat between the U.S. and Iran, the Resnicks lobbied to Congress so that when imports from Iran resumed, a 300% tariff would be placed on Iranian pistachios specifically. In 1977, the second year of pistachios' commercial crop, 1,700 acres were devoted to growing pistachio trees, around the same size taken up by the downtown neighborhood of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. In 2012, a reported 178,000 acres of land were used for growing pistachios, more land than the entire city of Chicago. Today, every single pistachio sold in America comes from America. 99% are grown in California, with some coming from Arizona and New Mexico. And we lead in exports for the European Union. Ever since the EU imposed their own sanctions on Iranian imports in 2005, they've gotten their pistachios from us. So where does that leave the culture of the pistachio tree? The pistachio still feels exotic. The wonderful company puts great effort into marketing the nut as something wild and fun in a way that no other nuts are talked about. And despite all this focus on the United States and their growth, the pistachio has crept into modern culture of other places as well. Before the first Kerman pistachio was planted in California, a new crop was being grown on the Greek island of Aegina. Since 1896, Aegina pistachios have grown in popularity and uniqueness thanks to the isolated soil and climate conditions. In 1997, the Aegina pistachio was granted a protected designation of origin, like how only sparkling wine coming from the Champagne region of France can be called Champagne, or like how the cashew apple spirit known as Feni can only come from the Goa region of India. And this is but one example of such an occurrence for geographically unique pistachios. Another pistachio grown only in the town of Bronte, Sicily, in the volcanic soil at the foot of Mount Etna, received PDO status and sees global fame as the one and only Bronte pistachio. You may not have heard of the Bronte in the English-speaking world, but this special crop takes up a full 1% of the global market and sees quiet but notable success in Japan, Thailand, and China. When it comes to nuts, the pistachio stands on its own. Though its history is long, its popularity is relatively recent, and it still demands much attention to be drawn to itself. It is upon us then to look beyond the nut and see the tree where it comes from. The relationship between the U.S. and Iran is still tenuous at best, and our pistachios may no longer feel like they come from a faraway land. But with this unique crop's origins in mind, now is the time to enjoy a simple snack, or maybe even some delicately flavored ice cream or confectionery, and connect with lands and people far away that also enjoyed the fruits, or seeds rather, of a small desert tree. As fall continues to peak, my adventures on Patreon just get better and better. On the weeks where I don't release an episode, I put out a Tree Walks with Thomas video for my patrons. And for the last month, I've had so much fun leading my tree huggers through the enchanted and vibrant mosaic that is New England in October. If you'd like to become a tree hugger yourself and get access to this awesome video series, as well as get early episodes and help support sustainable causes, go to patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees and start a 7-day free trial today.
It has been so fun to revisit the varied and remarkable world of tree nuts. But in two weeks, our journey once again comes to a close. This time, though, we're going out with a bang. I knew little of the macadamia nut before researching the tree it came from, other than the fact that it comes from Hawaii. Well, it turns out I had a lot to learn because it doesn't even originate from Hawaii in the first place. On October 31st, we'll close out the month and the miniseries with the Queen of Nuts, harder than metal, and an inspiration for Korean activism against the wealthy elite. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at Boomerang Brit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees or on Instagram at Tree Podcast. You can support me directly by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees or donate directly to a sustainable organization like the ones found on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. Hug.